Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. I think what struck me about this whole thing was just how emotional people felt about the ending of not just Better Call Saul, but this whole sort of Breaking Bad storyline that that has, um, I think people have felt real emotional attachment to. And as you know, Arch, I mean, uh, we're heading into the dog days of August and uh, right. and we don't have real emotional relationships with our uh, media and our entertainment this time. This is kind of more, this is the more one night stand season, right? The Arch Campbell podcast featuring Arch, Lou Katz, and a cast of thousands begins now. Well, that was Oliver Jones in L.A. explaining the ebb and flow of uh, our relationship with entertainment. I thought you'd like to hear that. And uh, here we are. Hello again, and welcome to the podcast that keeps you up with the ever-changing world of entertainment. I'm Arch Campbell. Classic radio host Lou Katz is in the control room producing and directing... Are we on the air, Lou? We're on the internet, Arch. We're on the internet. Oh, we're on the the net. (laughs) On the net. Okay. Right. So having said that, our guest today is one of our time's best-loved film critics and one of the people I love best in the world. She covered film for the Austin American Statesman, then for the Baltimore Sun, and for the last several years has served as the senior film critic for the Washington Post. What a pleasure to welcome Anne Hornaday. Anne, dear. Hello, Arch. It's good to see you. I miss you so much. And it's even better to hear your your dulcet tones. (laughs) I, I should insert in here that you and I did a podcast for about two years. We're happy. And... Uh, I always, every week, I looked forward to hearing what you were thinking about and what you were, what was on your radar. So, well, same. I mean, I yeah. And one day we'll have to get the band back together, right? Like well. that was a, that was those were halcyon days. Those were good times. Yes, they were. So, so we've got this opportunity, and let me start by asking you, what are you watching at home, just for fun? What do you, what do you like to watch when you're home? Well, as you know, at the beginning, when we went right, what, the first thing I binged in lockdown was that I finally watched Foil's War from beginning to end uh, because yeah. I had been I had been dipping in and out of that, you know, for years. But I don't, I had never seen the whole thing kind of in sequence. The case is being investigated by a man called Detective Chief Superintendent Foil. He's not the provincial policeman you expected. That was my first um, pandemic viewing project and i've stayed on the british you know i'm an anglophile and i love all the british oh, yeah. but yeah. i should preface this by the last thing i watched you know i i went completely completely head over heels for the bear i don't know if you've watched the bear yet i started on the bear i found it a little hard to get into but i know people love it tell me why you love it it's just the the actor and of course now i'm blanking on his name god he's so good and because i was not familiar with him he's he's on shameless he was on that hbo series shameless which was too edgy and dark for little old me um, <laughs> but he is absolutely you know he reminds me of that young dustin hoffman you know where you're like who's that guy he's mm-hmm. just so he's so compelling and he's so charismatic it's beautifully written Beautifully acted, not just by by the lead actor, but by this whole ensemble around him. It's just fantastic. Um, you this know, is the uh, 
the guy who's a, a well-regarded chef who has to take over his father's sandwich shop. His brother's, right? The family's oh, sandwich shop. And his brother, right. for, for reasons that become clear, um, he's kind of coming down from great heights. He's been training with Alice Waters and, you know, I mean, all the best chefs. And he's sort of <clears throat> coming home. To, to I think the head. guy is Jeremy Allen White. That's exactly that what right? Jeremy Allen White. Of course, man of my dreams. How can I forget his name? <laughs> anyway, I can't believe it. He's going to be so mad. But um, <laughs> no, it's just the way that it's written and the way it's produced. And I have to say uh, the soundtrack is in my, it's just in my wheelhouse. A lot of Wilco and, and Chicago music. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it just, it, you know, sometimes you feel like things have been made for you and, and, yeah. This, and, and, you know, it's getting hugely high marks from people with, re, you know, who work in restaurants in terms of how it right. captures that culture. I mean, I think, I think that's the main thing that it's being um, adored for, rightfully so. It's just, it's so realistic. Um, so I'll give it an, I would, I would urge you to give it another try. You know, the interesting <laughs> thing about that is uh, we've always heard, you don't want to know what goes on in the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. It's like, that's why I never send anything back. <laughs> Boy. But no, it's just it's just delightful. And like I said, there again, I'm sorry that I don't have names to to hand, but um, there are all of these actors that I had not really heard of before, or seen before, and they are they work beautifully. It is like a great kitchen, right? Like they're working, they're right. working as a team in a way that is just beautiful to behold. It's just really exquisite. So, I did you get into uh, Better Call Saul, which everyone seems to be I did talking not because, about? Well, you know, here's the thing. I had to I had to break up with Breaking Bad. I watched Breaking Bad until there was a moment that I just thought I can't do this anymore. It was so dark and it was so it was just going in such a hopeless direction that I had to bail. Um and so I didn't stick with um Breaking Bad, which so then ergo I wasn't really into the whole Better Call Saul world, but I mean I know that it's yeah, I, you know, I've I've heard tell it's quite good, but yeah, it's not my. Can, uh, can I guess? Was it the? Uh, should I say? Was it the murder of that child? It, well, no, it wasn't a child. It was actually, if I remember correctly, it was an older person. It was early in the series where I just thought, uh, oh, I know where this is going to go, and I know where it's going to take me, and it's not a place that I'm particularly interested in going. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So. So what do you think, you know, we're talking about shows we have binged. I binged um, Breaking Bad. I started at episode one and went all the way through and got a completely different experience than I had uh, watching it, you know, one episode here and one episode Mm -hmm. there. And uh, uh, is that a a form now, do you think, the 60-hour movie? I think that's a really good question, and I might have to steal that. For a <laughs> you may have it. Because <laughs> Anything what it reminds I got me, is yours. You know, amateurs borrow, professionals steal. <laughs> um, it reminds me a little bit of The Irishman, you know, the Scorsese movie, which I yeah. found, I did not find that to be his best. I, I, I thought that, that, that played to me like a 60-hour movie, right? Like, it played to me <laughs> like it was... Felt like... It, it did to me, you know, yeah. mileage varies, but I thought uh, hey, that's been, that's been kind of negatively influenced by this binge culture we're in where people, you know, they think that we'll just sit and sit and stare forever. And another, you know, I also had a, a similar, I had a problem with Stillwater, the Tom McCarthy movie with Matt Damon, 
which yeah. apparently I'm a huge Tom McCarthy fan, but I felt that narratively it didn't work. And later when I interviewed Tom about it, he said, oh, you know, the writers and I were really inspired by podcasts, like true crime podcasts, oh. like, like S-Town and stuff like that. And I'm like, but this isn't a podcast. It's a feature film. Right. Like, stop doing that. You know, so I feel like these other forms, these binge series and podcasts, they are influencing feature films. I, and I'm not sure it's altogether, you know, to the good. I think feature film is its own thing. It's a unitary, unified, sit down, one and done experience that has integrity and beauty and unity that should be respected and kind of refined and and cherished. So I guess that's my wordy answer to your question. Hmm. 60 hour movie though. Yeah, that's it's 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 an immersive it's it's almost Dickensian, right? It's this kind of Yeah, yeah. Immersive, serialized series uh, Dickens. Of yeah, course. emotional experience. I started it, thinking about that movie. when I binged The Wire. Right. And I really didn't get The Wire until I sat down and watched it in order. And then once I watched it in order, I did think it was brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the value of something like The Wire and, and what David Simon does is that, you know, these are taken from obviously it's reported right it's 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 a kind of form of repertorial fiction and drama yeah, and yeah. what he's doing and which dickens did too he's taking social issues of the day and he's giving us a way in you know he's mm -hmm. giving us this emotional connection to things that would otherwise be statistics or even just newspaper stories you know which have their own beauty and their own own formal language but that serialization and that immersion it just gets to us on an emotional level that no other form really, you know, the visual storytelling can that other forms. You mentioned something uh, and it opened up a question for me. And uh, you talked about how dark Big Breaking Bad is. And I'm just noticing a lot of really dark stuff streaming. Yeah. You know, this show, yeah. The Patient, just oh, started. I yeah, I'm not, I'm not interested. I Anything watched about 15 a minutes of it no. bailed. Serial killers no. and hitmen are are are, no. are no goes for me now. I just and uh, Echo. Have you seen this thing, Echo, where no. uh, they're twins and one of them disappears and uh, no. it, 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 it's too dark. Yeah, so, I mean, I just feel like life's hard enough right now. Um, <laughs> you know, I got really into the comedies. Did you watch uh -huh. Schmigadoon? Did you did, did you watch? Oh yeah. Love Schmigadoon. You know, and, and Girls 5 Eva and Hacks. And I mean, that's where Hacks, I Hacks, of course. Hacks. Brilliant. Lovely. Brilliant. Uh, I guess Barry is too dark for you. Well, yeah, I loved, you know, when I started Barry, I really loved it. <clears throat> and I would go back to it. But, you know, as you know, because you have a partner in life, as do I. And mm -hmm. what we're always looking for is the thing that we can do together. You know, so we right, watched. Right. The thing we watched together was um, Counterpart. I don't know if we talked about that. That was at the mm -hmm. beginning of the pandemic with me. It was on Stars with J.K. Simmons. It's a. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a Cold War thriller. Thirty years ago, during the Cold War, there was an experiment. Something went wrong. They opened up a passage. When you go through this door, you come out the other side, you're in another world. Oh, it's so brilliant. It's so good. And that sort of set the standard for us. And then we watched Lupin, you know, that beautiful oh, series with Omar Sy. 
That's my sweet spot, right? It's light. It's lighthearted. It's stylish. He's fat. You know, that's where I want to, that's where I'm living right now. It's like, give me, give me more, 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 please. Did you ever get into Call My Agent? Oh, of course. Oh my God, I love that show. Oh, that that was a dark day in my life when that ended. And the British, have oh you watched the British version yet? No. Yeah, they can't, no one can come close to, to I'll their get real there. Well, I have America's leading film critic on the line here. <laughs> so we've got to go to the movies. And uh, I thought it'd be fun to talk to you at uh, the beginning of fall, now that summer has gone, and to kind of look back on the summer season. And it seems like this summer, we kind of had a summer season. And uh, the name of it was Top Gun Maverick. Why do you think Top Gun Maverick was so widely successful? Well, you know, I'm sure you've heard this over the years from people in the industry. When when you talk about certain kinds of movies, like, why didn't you make, you know, I always, I, my, my kind of quintessential is go-to example is Michael Clayton. Why don't you make more Michael Clayton's? You know, that kind of, it's not a franchise. It's not a sequel. It's just a really good movie. It's a one in, it's a one-off. And then what I would hear back is, well, those are execution dependent. In other words, they don't have intellectual property connected to them. They don't have a built-in fan base. It's all riding on the execution of the idea. And I think everything's execution dependent now. And I think Top Gun was so brilliantly executed on every level. It was really well-written. It was beautifully acted. Um, it was nicely shot and produced. The production values were all there. You know what I mean? Every, it was just, it, I think it just worked on every single level. It knew what it was doing all the way. It didn't overreach. It didn't try, you know, it didn't um, try to be something it wasn't. It just, it, it just felt like the whole thing had a lot of integrity, you know, and a lot of these sequels don't. And they feel kind of lazy and pandering. But this, I just felt like it respected the audience. Cruz is fantastic. His work ethic shines through. The scenes with Val Kilmer were truly emotional and powerful to me. One last thing. Who's the better pilot? You or me? This is a nice moment. Let's not ruin it. <laughs> Jennifer Connelly in a thankless role. She brought a lot of intelligence and, yeah. Yeah. and strength. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I just, I really thought they did a fantastic job with it. And I, that matter, right? I mean, it'll things like that will always do well, quote unquote. But when they become the phenom, generally not always. I think it's because they're really, really good. You know. Anyway. I was just impressed that that I would hear feedback from a wide variety of people and people I didn't expect, uh, old people like me, yeah. <laughs> talking about going to the movies. It was fun. I mean, I went with because I actually re-watch Top Gun just so I would be kind uh, of refreshed. Yeah, and yeah. I don't and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily age all that well, let's just say. No. I mean it's kind of silly. It's very campy <laughs> yeah. really. And so I was not looking, you know, and Tom Cruise can sometimes he can come off as trying a little too hard and you're just like, oh Tom, you know, don't so I was going in with expectations not just managed but probably lowered, frankly, about like, ooh, is this gonna work? And it was delightful. Like it was just so much fun. It was at a live preview screening. It was a full theater. We were all masked. Oh. And, you know, there's this moment where you kind of know that a movie is working 
it's usually pretty early, you know, it's in that first 10, 20 minutes, you're like, okay, you know, you're, you're mm-hmm. just, and then it was like, wow, we're, we're on uh-huh. the ride and they're, and they're taking, and I had full confidence in that filmmaker and crews and everybody it was like, yep, I'm with you. I'm just with you all the way. And they didn't disappoint. And it was really, really fun. It was like an old fashioned summer Hollywood blockbuster movie. Wow. With no, so case, now- no, you, you know, and it, it wasn't superheroes. It was also, that's the other thing. It was people. It's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, yes, they're doing crazy superhuman things, but there was some, a groundedness about it that I think I, I know I've been missing. Is there still room for the little movie? Uh, Like, for instance, I saw, I don't know if you've seen Emily the Criminal with Aubrey Plaza, but for some reason, that really appealed to me. She's uh, she's a young woman, and she's got student debt, and she's uh, got a gig uh, delivering food, and she gets a chance to uh, pull some scams for... uh, a guy who uh, uh, basically it's a credit card scam mm-hmm. and she turns into a criminal mastermind and it's 90 minutes. And I just sat there mesmerized. I need to see that. I haven't caught up with that one yet, but there is to your question about little movies, like one of the big successes of the summer was everything everywhere all at once, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, which was the first a hundred million dollar movie for, for a 24. Now you may only see a pile of receipts, but I see a story. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. I can't say that I unqualifiedly loved it, but it's interesting, and those are interesting, you know, the the filmmakers, but the Daniels, you know, the guys who made it, I think mm-hmm. have a real vision and a voice, and I want them to keep going, and it's certainly connected with audiences. I think people went back more than once to see that one, you know, because it has so many ideas in it, and it's, if you're into, like, you know, martial arts and genre, it's, it's quote-unquote fun to watch. I didn't, I found it kind of repetitive and boring that way, but I thought the ideas it engaged were lovely, and Michelle Yeoh is just... Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you know, one of my sort of disappointments of the summer, one of my favorite movies, really next to Top Gun, the next one I loved as much was um, Good Luck to You, Leo Grant. You know, that Emma Thompson, the Emma Thompson. Darryl oh, Moore yes, movie. yes. And that is a movie that went straight to streaming. It was a Hulu movie. It didn't open in theaters. At least it didn't open in theaters around in our neck of the woods. And that is a movie I would have loved to have sent my readers to. You know, at at like the Avalon or uh, Row. You know, I think there's an audience for that kind of movie. We're we're eager, you know, who are just hungry for just movies about people and relationships that are funny and warm and touching, which that one was. I've never had an orgasm. There are nuns out there with more sexual experience than me. It's embarrassing. Do you want me to brush my teeth? What's the oldest person you've ever done it with? Eighty-two. Eighty-two. Yes. 82. Nancy. Okay, I'm feeling a bit better now. So to me, that worries me when something like that, I I do think, I I have no idea, quote unquote, how it's done on streaming. I don't know what the metric for success is on streaming. (laughs) Is it new subscribers? Is it keeping the ones you have? I don't know. Is it traffic? (laughs) But I really think they could have done a little bit more. You know, I think there was a theatrical life for that movie that that didn't happen, which is unfortunate. You know, in that vein, I uh, have been looking for I Love My Dad. Oh, the, uh, the movie with Oswald Patton. Patton Oswald. Oh, it's uh, just uh, a yeah. And I can't find it. It's not in a theater. So uh, it was It was in theaters probably for a minute, and now you're catching it kind of in that, you know, I'm sure it'll show up on streaming pretty soon. 
And I there's, an, I know that I happen to know you and I uh, have an affinity for vengeance. Oh yeah, Novak. Yeah, that was yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was another one. That kind, of, that was a you know, that's B.J. Novak's writing directing uh -huh. debut, and yeah, I thought it was it yeah. was impressive. It you know might not have been a home run, but I think it was a solid triple. The um, New York City podcaster who goes to uh, West Texas, we think he's in Marfa. Yeah. to investigate a murder and uh, gets immersed in the Texas culture. Abilene just didn't die. She was murdered. What? And the two of us, we want to avenge her death. So as like a personal boundary, I don't avenge deaths. But here's what I can do. Lou saw the trailer and called me up. He said, you and I have to go see them. And Lou is <laughs> a local Maryland boy. But Lou, the... Lou is the one that put me out of this. I had no idea there was so much Texas in it, Arch, but, you know, it was perfect for you being Mr. San Antonio. So Arch was, like, translating everything for Arch. Here's where they are now. Here's where they are now. Oh, I know that. I know that oil field. I know that pump jack. And, uh, I think what about Ashton? Indeed... What about Ashton Kutcher in that film? Oh, I he was man. I loved him. He was so weird, he so strange. So he carries weird. the thing. God, I just thought that that was a real uh, out of left field one for me. I just thought he was brilliant. I just thought he was brilliant. I mean, yeah, no, it was a really charming little, and Issa Rae was really funny as his, as BJ's producer back in New York, kind of guiding him by the mm -hmm. phone. It was, yeah. Solid. But uh, it's it's I think it was in theaters for two weeks. Uh, difficult to find. Uh, I suppose it's streaming now for. I think it might be up for six ninety nine. Okay. Uh, well, it's worth checking out. I mean, especially for. Uh, what about my old school? Did you ever? Did you catch up with my old school? No, no. Now, that's Tell another me. one. I what is that? that? Oh my goodness! This I saw. This was a Sundance movie. Yeah. And again, it came out in theaters for a minute and I'm sure it'll show pop up, but put it, put it on your list. But it's a, it's actually a documentary and it's about an episode that happened in the 1990s in Scotland at a high school in Scotland. And what the filmmaker is doing is sort of revisiting that event with the people who participated. And there was one guy in particular who was a transfer student who was kind of this mysterious, strange, eccentric fellow. And he's ex he's interviewed extensively for the film, but he doesn't want his face shown, which for reasons which become clear. So the filmmaker got Alan Cumming to <laughs> lip sync to lip sync his interviews. <laughs> so Alan Cumming is a talking head. Oh, it no. is it is so cool. Oh, and then so and then he interviews the real people, reminisce, but and he uses animation. It sounds uh -huh. like there's a lot going on, but I just think it's so gracefully done. And the story is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, it's, the story is fantastic because um, it gets into things about identity and belief and friendship uh -huh. and, and hierarchies and um, forgiveness and growth and all, all of that. And it just the ending is is absolutely beautiful. I don't know. I just I was really charmed by it. So if you have a chance. To wow. Well, and the other thing about the summer was uh, nope. Oh, Yeah. And uh, I still don't I, get it. I didn't mean it either. I, you know, I, don't get it. I really wanted to love it and I yeah. didn't even like it. Yeah, I, I have so, to admit. I'm sorry. I'm with, yeah, I'm with you on that one. It's, I liked components. I think he's a good scene maker. I think mm -hmm. he obviously 
when he wants to do something, he knows how to do it. But I just don't know how all the moving parts fit together. And I just don't think thematically it fit at all. You know, like, I just don't, I'm not even sure exactly what he was trying to say and whether he even said it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought both Daniel Kaluuya and, and Kiki Palmer were fantastic, but um, I did not understand that. Uh, you know, because <laughs> Get Out is so good, I think uh, Jordan Peele is going to have trouble uh, matching that. We expect another Get Out every time one of his films come out. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like he's kind of trying to be our next Rod Serling, which is a uh -huh. really good thing to aspire to. I mean, you know, that's that's great. But things have to make sense and they have to kind of, you know, they can't just be completely self-indulgent and hermetic. You know, you have to, you know, you do have an audience that you have to think about and, and lead through, you know, thread through things. And I just don't think that happened with this. I thought that was a little bit true of us as well. Um, you know, I just kind of feel like, I, I, I feel like with us and with Nope, especially with Nope, these are things that need one more pass through the typewriter. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like let's, you know, you got some ideas here. You definitely are, you know, you got a vision here, but let's. I recommended uh, you to the uh, six part series, oh. The Last Movie Stars. Uh, the, the story of the marriage of Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward shown through their work. And I kind of viewed that as sort of the new bridge between loving movies and watching stuff on streaming. And uh, I am interested to hear what you thought. Oh, I was... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what I thought, it's not even a think thing. It's a, I just was in heaven the whole time. Uh -huh. I mean, it's just so delicious. The footage of them as they, you know, as young artists, young people, young lovers, and then watching them growing old. And I'm going to start crying here pretty soon. But <laughs> as we know, it was, it's directed by Ethan Hawke and uh -huh. um, what he, and, and he's making it during lockdown. So he's doing a lot of at the beginning, you know, you you see him interviewing his buddies, you know, people like Laura Linney and George Clooney mm -hmm. and Vincent D'Onofrio on Zoom. And you're thinking, like, what are you doing, man? And then it becomes clear what he's doing. He's they are going to be reading. They are going to be playing characters that, that, like like with the Alan Cumming thing. They're actually going to read the transcripts and the letters and the voices of the people that are that are referred to in the film. And some of them I thought Clooney, I thought that <laughs> that might be one of his best performances. That vocal performance as Paul Newman. My meeting with Joanne gave birth to a sexual being. I am simply a creature of her invention. That that floored me. I, I thought he was, it really moved me. The way he read Newman's letters. Um, they took they took a lot from these transcribed interviews that, that Newman did over the years and then finally burned the audio tapes. But at least, thank God, they had the transcriptions. The transcripts to read from but um no and then even ethan he's such a searcher you know and and like it's almost like a meta for me watching ethan hawk grow as an actor recently you know with um right. the and what he has been doing mm -hmm. i mean he just gets better and better and better and better mm -hmm. and you know as a filmmaker i he his first documentary was this absolutely lovely film called seymour an introduction about a about an elderly musician, a piano player that was just fantastic. So just, so I feel like that was woven into this as Ethan Hawke's own growth as an artist. And there's this one scene very, very, very late when he's interviewing his daughter, Maya, 
about like, I don't know what this movie is about. And she quotes him back to himself. And I don't want to spoil it, but it's about <laughs> yeah. relationships and love. And I just, I found that to be almost the most moving part of the movie uh -huh. was, was him and his journey, you know, and finding the, finding the essence of, of what they meant to him. I don't know. It, it was just beautiful. I just thought it was lovely. I, I love the, uh, the way they, they selected the film clips. Yeah. And, and the films you haven't seen from the 50s and 60s. And that you got a sense that really Joanne Woodward was probably the better actor. For sure. Um, For sure. Yeah. And I was so doubt. moved. I downloaded Mr. and Mrs. Bridge and oh, sat home and oh. watched it. Oh, I just don't think I could do it. I don't think I could stay in one piece and do that. Talk about exquisite, just uh -huh. crystalline, crystalline, just, just crystalline perfection. Yeah. Yeah, no. And she is... Uh, she's still with us. God bless. And, yeah. Um, what a, just what a magnificent, what what a magnificent artist and a woman. Uh, it, it was. It's a great testament to her, mm -hmm. you know. And I and I'm I was gratified by that in terms of Ethan's point of view. You know that he clearly wanted to make this. You know he wanted to make that point. Your point that she was probably the better actor and also just the huge sacrifices she made for Paul and also just for the whole family. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, wow. So so what is the state of the movies? Where do movies fit now? I, as you know, I'm I go back to the days when a movie was something special that you couldn't see on TV and if you wanted to watch it, you had to go to the theater and if you missed it in the theater, you had to wait 4 or 5 years for it to come on TV or then later several months before it came on VHS or DVD. And where are we now? Um, I, we're still, to me, we're still in an interregnum. I think that, you know, what the summer taught us was things like Top Gun and, you know, Jurassic Park and El we didn't even talk about Elvis. Elvis ended up doing really well, which surprised me. But, yeah, what do you think of Elvis? You know, Elvis lost, I was at sea with Elvis until Vegas. When they hit Vegas, um, when he starts the residency in Vegas, that's when I felt like I saw Austin Butler's performance. Like, that's when I was, I really was like, wow, he's really doing it. And there was just some, it sort of clicked in for me at that point. But up until that point, I thought it was actually kind of a self-indulgent mess. <laughs> and I didn't, and I wasn't, I wasn't crazy about the, the conceit of using Tom Parker with, with Tom Hanks playing Tom Parker. Yeah, I just, yeah. That didn't work so great for me. But I, I, I really do respect Austin Butler's performance. I, I, you know, I just think somewhere in there, you know, is this really, really uh, well-considered performance on his part, which I think he deserves a lot of credit for. It just seemed to get a little bit lost in the shuffle. But anyway, so these big, big screen event movies did well. I think what the great question mark still for everyone, for the industry, for theater owners and for audiences, are the middle are the middle one you know the middle the middle class those Michael Clayton's the yeah, awards yeah. pictures and so I'm about all in a couple of weeks I'll be at the Toronto Film Festival which is traditionally where you see those movies right that, you know that's where we all see the 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 stuff that people are going to be putting up for awards we're going to be seeing the new Spielberg you know the Fablemans we're going to see Tar the Kate Blanchett movie by Todd Field we're going to see Woman King by Gina and Prince Bythewood. We're going to see the new Sarah Pauly, Women Talking. Um, you know, there's a new uh, Noah Baumbach 
movie coming out. So mm. exactly. Mm. So let's see, you know, I think when I was in LA in March at a at kind of an industry event, a studio executive said, what we need is the rhythm. We need that cadence of yeah, movies coming yeah, through yeah, on a regular yeah. basis so that audiences know, yeah, there's going to be something to see. And it can't, you know, we don't have that yet. Um, so we'll see what we see. But, oh, and by uh, the way, uh, where are the Oscars in all of this after last year's debacle? I know. I've got such a bad taste in my mouth for the Oscar broadcast that, uh, yeah, uh, where where are we? Again, in Aragnum, I just think we're in a complete limbo. And, and so much of it, it just all comes down to the movies themselves. You know, is, are these mm-hmm. movies connecting with people? You know, are we, are they giving people a reason to want to go out and see them? That's why I feel like Leo Grand could have been, I just feel like that could have been that movie for a lot of people this summer of like, oh, it's not a superhero movie and it's not even a Top Gun movie. It's a small movie about recognizable human people. It's funny and touching and warm and well executed and all that. I think there is an audience for that. There is a place for that. You know, maybe this pandemic and that binge habit has made people more selective about what they'll go out to see uh again it's everything is execution dependent now well and i worry that the oscars are about who's gonna slap who instead of the movies well no that's not i think that was a one-off for sure i hope so but every year it seems to be something out there so yeah that was that was an extraordinary bizarre i think absolute like strange yeah i i wouldn't i wouldn't put too much uh hold too much hold that into too much importance um it was unfortunate for sure regrettable oh hey yes. saturday september 3rd is three dollar movie day kids get to popcorn now here we go september 3rd you are gonna witness an absolute spectacle National Cinema Day, an event unlike any before. That's big. I'll be. All movie tickets for just $3. This is the biggest day of my life. Every movie, showtime, format. You have my attention. All day, all night. I will freak out. So mark your calendars. And celebrate the movie theater experience. Are you ready? I am ready. Let's go, ladies. Let's go. National Cinema Day. You coming or what? Yeah. September 3rd at your favorite movie theater. What do you think? Again, I think it's the movies. I mean, they, you know, look, price point, when you poll moviegoers about what's keeping them away, yes, price is an issue. I won't deny that. But it's really the, it's the movies always and forever first. It's what are what are they going to pay three dollars? You know, it's not so much paying three dollars. Like what are they going to see there? What is there? Now that could make a difference. Top Gun with the movie. If you're going to bring Top Gun for the fifth time, it's still there. Or if well, yeah. Or if you're going to bring like five kids with you, yeah, that makes a difference. But like, oh. I just want to say it's the movies. Stupid. Like make better movies. Not hard. Actually, it is hard. That is a cue for me to flip it over to Lou Katz, who uh, tells us that we are uh, available on Hound Radio and several other 
platforms. And uh, Lou, take it away. Arch, you're a big time golfer. There's a special charity event coming up in just a couple of weeks. Check this out. If you love to golf, then Hound Radio invites you to play in the Maryland Fire Chiefs Association 14th Annual Golf Tournament. It's Friday, September 23rd at the Lake Presidential Golf Course in Upper Marlboro. Hugh Owens with the MFCA. The the importance this year is greater than previous years due to cancer being a now line of duty death. And as of June 2nd, we have lost 287 fire and EMS personnel to COVID-19. The tournament starts at 8 a.m. And the $125 entry fee includes green fees, a cart, continental breakfast, lunch, and lots more. For details on how to join in or become a sponsor, email Hugh at A-C-H-I-E-F 45 at AOL.com. That's A-C-H-I-E-F 45 at AOL.com or go to HoundRadio.com. Don't miss this great round of golf for even a greater cause. See you on the tee with Hound Radio. I wanted to mention Aaron Latham to you because I fondly remember, he passed away this week, and I fondly remembered uh, his journalism and the days of new journalism, which I know you participated in. Um, and, uh, and of course, he wrote the story that became Urban Cowboy. Yeah, I well no you you flatter me. I was I would never say I participated in the new journalism. I was I was worshiping them from afar and aspiring to, but I don't think I ever did. But yeah, I mean it reminded me a little bit of the um, you know, Saturday Night Fever was another one that was adapted from a great magazine story, so it's kind of like that it's it's that instance where the new journalism was influenced by the movies. They were writing cinematically. Like that's mm-hmm. one of the one of the techniques of new journalism was to change the, you know, to make it more narrative, to make it more environmental and immersive. Um, so there was this kind of virtuous feedback loop, you know, between these mediums um, that kind of like when, you know, I guess that was IP then, intellectual uh-huh. property. You know, now we're we're adapting Twitter threads, you know. <laughs> you know, they're like the whole the whole notion of IP, they're either comic books or I'm sure we're gonna get the TikTok movie. Uh, any day now you know that's that's the nature of technology and changing storytelling fondly on the on the lathams and the the cones of the world they like wow you had a day you know had a golden age having said that uh do you have a recommendation for this weekend you know i've been working on a couple of feature stories so i don't even know really what's opening i mean one of my favorite movies uh Lately, is this extraordinary documentary called Three Minutes a Lengthening? Mm, uh huh. Oh, yeah. I know about Yeah. Minutes Tell me more. Footage. Yeah. This uh, gentleman took home movie footage of a, of a Jewish community in Poland um, in 1938, just kind of a happy go lucky vacation footage, which, of course, not knowing, not knowing what is to come in a year, literally a year later. Uh, Germany would invade Poland, and a lot of these people in the images would eventually be deported and then eventually end up in Treblinka. These three minutes of life were taken out of the flow of time by David Kurtz in 1938. Michelsk was not an important town unless you lived there. It was just a town. But of all the Polish towns destroyed in the Holocaust, Michelsk is among the very few that exist in moving pictures. 
among just a handful preserved in color. This movie was made with a lot of assistance from the Holocaust Museum. It's got sort of Washington roots mm -hmm. in a way, but it's just been really beautifully, um, it, it, it's, it's an essay film. It's not necessarily a conventional documentary. Very thoughtful and sensitive. Helena Bonham Carter is the narrator, and I think it's again like Clooney with Newman. It's a beautiful vocal performance. So I would I would probably say that's my that's my favorite in theaters right now. Uh, Anne Hornaday, the uh, window is closing, and I just want to say what a great uh, just just such a pleasure to uh, visit with you. I miss you, dear, and uh, follow your work in the Washington Post. And, uh, and I will uh, throw out uh, The Last Movie Stars as a great uh, weekend recommendation. And, uh, and God bless you. Thank Hope you, to Art. To God you bless you, soon. too. Thank you so much. This is the Cats Podcasting System, where it's not just a podcast, but a podcast.